what if these companies just exist to help you get where you want to go and do it your own way? Because you are closer to the client than anyone else ever will be. How can we help you be more of who you are, doing things the way you want to do them, and really transforming the lives of your clients? Like that, that is fundamentally the existential question that we're solving here, or every day working to solve and get better at. Judd, awesome to have you here. Thanks Glad for joining here. the Alternative Universe. Yeah, man. There was a little volley going back and forth when we were trying to come up with a name for this podcast. Alternative Universe, I feel like, just encompasses it really well. I mean, we deal with alternatives, but um, this whole idea of the universe that surrounds it, the players inside of it, getting access, it really does. It, it's a universe. Sometimes yeah. people need help navigating that. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, it's weird because it's like you need your own new Rolodex of all this mm. stuff. And there's like new things, not that we have Rolodex anymore. We have our contact app and iPhones or whatever. But like, it's, there's just so many little things to it that it, it's its own, it's its own world too. Especially if you've been a financial planner your whole career and you're not dealing with this kind of stuff or you've been just managing, you know, public equities, you have your own set of things that you really understand. But then if you're really trying to go in and like, own professionally own alternatives it's a completely different universe in so many ways the crazy thing is the universe is always expanding and so is this one it's always expanding there's always new things and you know is this the next thing that i need mm. you know there's a lot of questions like that maybe this podcast could be like the hubble telescope yeah of the What's alternative the universe one, isn't there a new one that's taking like better pictures I don't know, but I'm going to look it up as soon as we're done. But yeah, and I think to your point, Judd, this whole idea of the alternative universe, when you're trying to break into it or when you're first learning, um, there's obviously formal ways of going out and getting educated here, but also there's this whole new vocabulary. And I think it takes some time for people to start to understand the overall private markets. And I don't know that we're going to try and do that here on this podcast, but I think something that helps, it definitely helped me, is hearing people like you share their story about how you got involved in the private markets. And I think yeah. most of us are involved in the private markets more than we even know. But getting involved in investing in the private markets and then playing a role in helping guide clients into those private markets and, and make wise decisions about how they're allocating their capital, um, but also just hearing your personal story about how did, how did you end up here? I got my start in, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and then went to undergrad, took a job at Orion, and then just kind of started understanding, you know, the broader wealth management world. I mean, I understand personal investing and all that kind of stuff growing up, but really understanding from the wealth management perspective, how things are, are evolving. And as I was at Orion, we were evolving what we did. The best ideas came from our advisors. And I remember years ago, I had this client that, you know, you always have these clients that are like, I wish you were wrong, but your, your insights are so cutting because it like clearly identifies our gaps. And it hurts to hear that sometimes because you're like, oh my gosh, it's a lot of work. And I wish I could say there's a better solution than what you're saying, but like you're telling me exactly what we need to do. And that person for me was J.D. Bruce at Abacus. 
you know, they came over to Orion with a ton of private investments and, you know, all kinds of different things that their clients were, were using. And we really needed to mold our model to what we needed to do. And that was, I think, a large factor in some of the stuff that Orion has from a technology perspective. And then as we went along, as I really went along, uh, I went up leaving Orion in 2015 and started a consultancy and worked with a lot of firms that were asset managers, third-party asset managers, and advisor networks and platforms. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see kind of what are the keys to growth and all that. And I had an opportunity to work with really quality firms while I was at Orion too, like the Creative Plannings and Mariners and all these firms that were like really, you know, like Edelman, like growing super fast, bringing on a lot of business because they built a machine. As we grew, this industry is, uh, as it's noted, there's a lot more struggle in organic growth for these firms. It's harder and harder to grow. It's a lot easier just to buy advisory firms and, and to roll them up and then to just use the compounding effect of organic growth that happens without a lot of like necessary uh, progressive work inside of these firms to like truly do business development. So it's just, it's, it's a nice little compounding factor. We wound up selling that business to Carson and joined there. And we had, you know, we had 130 offices around the country. We had a lot of advisors that I really enjoyed spending my time with. And then getting that time with them, it was interesting to see really kind of what was most intriguing to their clients and prospects. And it wasn't the things that we were marketing. You know, it's great. We can market backdoor Roths and we can do, you know, financial planning and we can do even advanced financial planning. That's all good. But like when I talk to really, truly high net worth people and I go to events and things like that, they don't care about any of that. They care about private investments and accessing it and then understanding kind of the delta between the desire from a client and then the ability that the firm had to truly operationalize all of it. It was a huge delta. And then you understand kind of the risk standpoint and then you go and look out at the universe of different choices you have and you kind of find a lot of gaps. You're going to see cool technology that's like, you know, the Silicon Slopes tech, like the Cartas and things like that, that are being built to really serve private investments. But problem is like Carta, AngelList, all these things, they're being built for this, but they're not really being built with the wealth management conversation at the center. Because fundamentally, you know, what I've always believed, and, and I now believe it more and more as I've gone through life and had all kinds of things occur, that an advisor is there for a really great reason. And they should be knitting together the conversation for somebody. Um, if they're truly a fiduciary, a super trained expert working on the behalf of your client, of the client, you know, they should be there guiding them all through all sorts of things. They don't have to necessarily be a family office. They don't have to like be writing checks when you're buying properties and stuff like that. But like, I think the evolution of advice is actually trending more toward that. So how do we help them truly integrate all these alternative opportunities into all of that and do it in a way that's, you know, totally flexible to who their clients are, both accredited and qualified clients. And understanding that the advisor is not standing in the way of private investments. The client's going to invest in them with or without their advisor. But the advisor as a fiduciary should be there to help make sure it's the best thing possible. We also found that a lot of advisors were accidentally becoming asset managers in private funds. They were creating their private funds to serve a need in their clients. And it was just like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Because I've created another business, like a literal LLC generally inside of my business. And now it, we have this administrative burden. We have fund accounting. We have LP management versus client experience. 
Uh, we have our clients now, maybe their first time private investors, now they're changing their tax filing timelines and there's creating new stress there. And at the end of the day, are we even properly integrating it into our broader story? Because maybe our funds are filled, like we filled our fund quickly. And now we have two funds and 1,200 clients and we're sitting here in a 10-year fund. Every year we're going back and managing it all and it's a lot of stuff. So we saw a huge opportunity to just be super intentional with how do, how do we bring this to the table and how do we make it a good table? How do we make it a strong centralized narrative? So anyway, that's probably more than you're asking for, but that's really kind of how I got here and what we're doing. I love it, man. No, it's a really good story. And uh, I think that your personal experience and your journey to being right in the seat now, really focusing on solving problems around the private investing process, uh, not just for the investor making an investment in private markets, but also how do we how do we help and empower advisors to be at the center of that transaction? Because I think what you mentioned is spot on. High net worth individuals um, or entities make these investments with or without their financial advisors. And I think more and more, especially as we've seen over the last 15 years, the independent market, financial advisors really expand and grow and mature. They're attracting higher and higher net worth clients. And those clients come with private investments, whether they are recommended or not. And the advisor is really in a position where they want to stay at the center of their client's life. And they need to be at, at the crossroads of each one of these transactions, not just understanding why it was made, but also how it fits into the overall portfolio. And when we think of long-term wealth management, um, sometimes these private investments can make up a, a pretty large portion of somebody's net worth. Yeah. And so how do we do that? And obviously, that's one of the solutions that Mammoth is looking at doing or, or looking at solving for, for advisors and their clients. I know you cut your teeth at Orion and help our audience understand a little bit about what Orion's doing. Uh, there was actually a point that relates to private markets when you transitioned out of Orion and, and uh, continued on with your career that has a lot to do with private markets. Can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, my history is, you know, I was at Orion for a long time and then I just saw this opportunity. I've always been, I grew up around entrepreneurism it's really hard to to not <laughs> pursue it when you grew up around it. You know, you know the hard part of it already uh, enough to be dangerous, but you're still you can't help yourself. Like you want to go out and solve problems. You want to have this. You have this independent spirit. And I think honestly, it's it's in the same vein as many of the people who listen to the show. Like you go independent for a reason, and sometimes you can't even explain it. It's just who you are. And so in 2015, Orion took on uh, private equity relationship with TA Associates. He's been an awesome partner there. It was a good good time for me to go out and start my own private business um, and, and really start to serve the industry uniquely. And, you know, owning private businesses, you know, whether you're an advisor or whether you're an investor or a, a fund manager, however, you know, it, it changes your perspective and it changes your needs. And you start thinking about how do I add value? How do I create value in a company all the time. And so the interesting thing is like as a technology company, Orion was able to use that capital to acquire uh, strategic firms and, and bring all these different things in and start to knit together a singular story that makes them, you know, kind of one of the best all-in-one solutions for advisors. And I think that the same thing is true for wealth management firms too. Like you're trying to build the best all-in-one solution for maybe a niche or maybe a national market. And that's always the challenge. And so 
understanding that like, you know, from the investment standpoint, I ultimately want to be able to serve this type of scenario, this type of investor, this type of, you know, integrated asset management of private funds into your day to day. I mean, th that takes like a really interesting time to just sit back and say, how do I get, how am I going to do that at scale? Um, how am I going to really make that part of what we do? And how are we going to like, you know, do that in a, in a white glove way, but also in like a, you know, a way that's super empathetic to everyone involved. And I think that's the thing that as we sit back and look at, you know, what's missing here, alternative investments and the whole universe around it is fundamentally lacking empathy for advisors and often for LPs. And also I would say for fund managers, because you get into this and you're working with all these different people, whether it's your accounting or, you know, fund admin, accounting, however you want to see it, or however you use those folks, to all the different technologies around it. And there's some improvements for sure. But generally, you're, you're kind of like, hey, good luck, buddy. Stitch this together. Make it a good experience. And like, meanwhile, you have an entire rest of your business that's happening over here that's really your primary. And it's very hard not to neglect what's over here and just have it be the lowest common denominator sort of solution for all your private investments. Yeah. Let's yeah. actually yeah. unpack that a little bit, Judd. I'm curious, uh, just it's your take. Anybody who's made a private investment from an LP perspective, I think has gone through the pains of, of onboarding and then managing all the paperwork associated with that. Not to mention getting into the fund, but then ongoing communication. And so unpack that a little bit. You, you said something there around, hey, I wanna try and control or improve this experience. Yeah. From the perspective of an advisor, what does that look like for an advisor? You found a new investment. You were at a conference. You saw a private equity firm. Maybe, who knows, maybe it's a private equity firm like TA and there's mm -hmm. an opportunity to put capital in and you're really familiar with how they're deploying that capital in our space. How do you even begin to stitch that together and make that available to your clients and then walk them, usher them through that process? Yeah, I mean, how it works generally is you're going to get the you're going to get the deck. You're going to look at that and say, hey. Here it is. This looks good. Uh, here's the minimum check size. Here's the time horizon. Here's the two and 20 or however it's set up financially. And I'm going to understand that. And then I'm going to say, all right, let's go. Um, you're going to then probably get a very large DocuSign um, of everything that you need. And you're going to go through that. And DocuSign need. would be an improvement, right? Right. Yeah, it's true. A lot of times you're not getting that. I've been faxed things <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I got to set up a fax number. I don't have one. So like I'll set up my fax number, get this, you know, giant thing, print it out and read it, sign it. And then I got to FedEx it back. I mean, this is, this is the, this is 2023, you know, and this sort, sort of a scenario is still very much in practice. And then, okay, now I've funded it. You know, if I got to do a wire, I got to do a call with my bank. And, you know, all that stuff, it's stressful in that, like, I hate talking to my bank. I don't know if anybody really likes talking to their bank, especially if you work with, like, you know, some of the some of the big banks. They're just, they don't really care about anything. So I'm doing that. And then the money goes off into the ether. And I'm just like, I'm hopeful they got it. And in some instances, I might get access to a fund portal um, where I'm going in and seeing that stuff. And here's the thing. Your value is not going to change for a very long time. Uh, it might be a year before you see any change. It might be longer than that. And a lot of times, like before you actually see a value change and you might get some sort of investor update, you know, some of these, these funds are pretty slow moving. So you're going to get that somehow, 
you know, it's going to be totally uncorrelated to your, you know, day-to-day, you know, investment commentary. And then you're going to have your K-1s come out, usually the last minute, right, before you're doing your extended tax filing. And so now you're scrambling to get that from the fund manager to your CPA to get it all done. It's just like, you have these questions like, why did I do this? (laughs) It made my life a lot more complex. Is it worth the alpha? Did I do it for the alpha? Maybe not. Maybe I just really liked investing in like this community development uh, that's happening, or I wanted to do a solar fund or, or whatever. It's easy to forget the why in the midst of the how, and it's just, it's very frustrating. And then if I want my advisor then to put that into my client portal, however, whatever system that is, that's a whole other ordeal. And if it's a smaller, more unique fund, well, good luck. Because that fund was a $50 million fund that was funded by maybe 75 people, uh, maybe 200 people at the top end. And so there's not a lot of love going into the long-term continuity of investor relations from that stuff. You know, there, there are incremental improvements. Like you could have like a data room as being part of this to make it subtly better. You can have DocuSign making it subtly better. But the problem is there's not really proper uniformity around all of it. And there's not really somebody constantly looking at how do I improve the user experience around this? As I was leaving Carson in 2020, um, I had a number of friends that are just like, you know, kind of people that are just like, hey, let's work together someday on something. And so I got calls from friends all the time on that sort of stuff. And we had this one idea just on like, hey, I've built a number of SPVs and I'm going to do like a full venture fund. So let's talk SPVs. Uh, special purpose vehicle is what it stands for. And it's a particular type of investment in a single company, right? So it's a private fund in a single company. It's very straightforward. It's probably one of the more common types of investments. You know, it's easy to communicate, hey, this is the company that we're investing in. How we do it is through a, a special purpose vehicle. The point of using an SPV would be to maybe meet a minimum investment within that single company by bringing multiple investors together. Yeah. And it simplifies the cap table too, for that client or for that, for that company. Got it. So you're you're not going to have like Steve and Judd and then all of our friends, you're going to have, you know, one LLC that is the SPV that's represented on the cap table. And so it just, it simplifies that you have one commentary. Uh, You still do have all the fun accounting stuff though, as the, you know, the offer of the SPV, you're still dealing with, now I got to issue K-1s to all the underlying investors in this fund. Friends of ours had, had built that. And so we said, let's, let's come in and look at this and sit back at it and just help me understand the flow. And so we just looked through it and we're like, well, this is that hodgepodge I just described. Like this is the LP experience where you're doing this. The fund can be amazing and the performance can be great, but getting into the fund is dismal. And it's not by anybody's failed attempts is simply just that it needs that empathy to guide the whole path. And so what we did is in early 21, we started building a way to onboard people into this fund. And so we said, well, fundamentally, I don't want to fill out a PDF. I don't want to ever see a PDF. I can help it. I want to be able to enroll in this just like I can enroll in any sort of digital product. And so we built out a seamless front end on top of the enrollment. It was smart because it was like, hey, why don't we think about all the different scenarios around this, all the different rules inside of this. Do I have a financial advisor involved? If so, let's include them in the process. Let's get their name, email. Let's start a conversation here because 
We don't want you to be doing things outside of your advisor, especially if it's not in your best interest. We want to care about that whole process. Same with your CPA. Who's your CPA? Let's get their name. You know, we can actually leverage them to make it if you've never done an accreditation letter. Hey, we're going to give you an accreditation letter that your CPA can just sign. Keep it simple. Because a lot of times you have these folks that have just never done this before. It's not complex. It just takes time. So how do we put the ball effectively on the tee so they can just swing the bat? And so... We, we did that. And then also looking at how do we fund this from a, from a retirement account? Um, I don't want to take money out to do this. I want to just use money I already have that's in a tax-free account and invest it through that entity. How do I do joint accounts and things like that? We built all that logic into an onboarding engine that allows you to, I think for our venture fund that we launched, we did a credit and qualified fund uh, we were able to take up to 250 accredited investors based on the investment rules. We were able to fund that in under five minutes. So I think it was four minutes, 37 seconds. Uh, you could completely enroll, do the transfer. We could wire money. We could ACH money. We could move money through a trust uh, with a trust company partnership that we, we did. And we built two partnerships, one with Strata, one with Millennium to do that. And it's been awesome just to help them more modernize what, what we're doing. Now you've got this funded, you've signed it all, you get the information, now you've got to get information back now, like it should be a fun experience. So then we've, we're focusing on what is the long-term LP experience, and so we built a really nice, not advisor, but client experience, and not thinking about them as an LP, what if we think about them as like a proper client? What if they were like really able to log in, really able to get investor relations, ahead of time. And the cool thing that we did was like, why don't we just tell the advisor a couple of days ahead that there's some news coming out on the portfolio companies inside of this fund. And so now the advisor gets the scoop on it the same way that you would with like a, a reporter and like a, a press release. Why don't we yeah. just do that ahead of time? It's like automated PR for a financial advisor. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I love marketing and growing firms. So like that stuff to me is first nature. Yes, of course we want to have like preferential communication. Um, so that happens because it's not that we're hiding anything. It's just that we want to help contextualize this stuff because whatever news we have in our fund is great. But what's better is how that relates to your broader financial picture, everything your advisor's talking about. And honestly, like you want more color in your stuff in the world where index funds are dominant and index funds are tremendously effective. There's not a lot of interesting things around what's happening in SPY today. It just is. It's the index. But what's happening in your health science fund where this new alloy got approved or this medical device is now through FDA approval, that's pretty awesome. And that's what the client or the LP here wants to share with their friends when they play golf tomorrow. Like, hey, this fund I was in, guess what? They got FDA approval. That's pretty cool. And I don't know what that means for our long-term returns, but there's progress happening that I'm able to be part of. And that's, and that's fun. You mentioned something earlier, and I'm just going to restate it. I'll paraphrase, but you said it's easy to forget the why amidst the how. And I think you've just done a great job of describing how easy it is to forget why we make these investments in the first place or why we get interested in using our capital to support these efforts. It's yeah. not because it's not always alpha, right? Yeah, no, no. And also there's whole like interesting, cool tax things that we want to help with as well. Like, you know, there's really good QSBS type investments. So you can like meet this tax exempt status in some of these funds. So it's a really nice tax strategy as well. 
all those are part of the story. All these are, are really interesting things that as an advisor, you want to be so excited to, to say, hey, this isn't like anything else we've had. This is the unique opportunity. And maybe, Miss Client, you know, you spent 35 years as a physician and you know this stuff already. So here's a health science fund that might align with your actual background. You might just be super excited about this. And our first fund we did was a health science fund. And over half of our investors, from my understanding, I think are all surgeons. They're all people that really understood the science, but they needed access to be able to, to participate in the fund. And so that's a really awesome story. So they can like 10x the uh, synthesis of our investor relations for that particular fund. It's almost more effective because they're, they're subject matter experts. So we went all there, uh, did that. And then now the next thing is like, you know, people like you and I, like we spent our career building technology for advisors. So to me, it's like, yes, we want to hit the empathetic, really quality investor experience, but that's only part of the journey. That's one mile marker effectively in that whole journey. How do we get to the next stage where advisors are now able to participate in that? It really means something to them. Um, and so that's the thing that we're, we, we just recently launched and we're stoked about that because now we're able to help advisors have a heavily empathetic experience to integrate all of their alts. And it's not like we're some closed architecture. It's a really awesome modern way to look at all your funds, past, present, and then future with all your clients and to help them enroll and participate to get the whole proper investor relations experience and to make it totally turnkey. And anyway, so I feel like I've talked about 40 times more than I thought I would on this podcast, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about what we're doing here. Well, that's because you're pumped. And, and I think it comes out, people like you and I, when we see these, these problems, these challenges that aren't being solved, uh, we get excited about trying to solve them. It's become very apparent to me in the last year or so that the approach of Mammoth to essentially be an overlay across this how and be able to stitch it together is of extreme value for the wealth management space. All of these little steps along the way give up not just the experience for the investor, but it gives up control over the process. It gives up control over compliance. It introduces complexity into the process for your investors, which makes it harder for you to be in the know about their overall household picture around their investments and their goals and how well we're on track. So creating this overlay, uh, you mentioned this in a conversation you and I had, and I really like it, but a lot of the services that are available for financial advisors, for the wealth management industry at large, to approach private markets, to execute trades, help their clients invest. They're essentially creating islands. And the overlay solution that Mammoth is providing is building bridges between these islands. It's allowing a firm to take control over which islands they give access to on ramps and off ramps with one uniform experience. Yep. And my understanding there has been that once you have that uniform experience, once you have this platform built that you can control those on ramps and off ramps, you can now, in the background, change service providers. You can change fund companies that you work with and managers that you offer without disrupting that experience. Where today, if I want to offer a new fund, I, I'm kind of stuck just introducing my client to the fund, and, and hopefully they treat my client well. And that's hopefully where due diligence and other things come into play, but that's, that's another one. 
if I'm going to use due diligence, a third-party due diligence, uh, that's now a separate island. It's a new place I have to go. It's complicated. It's easy to get stuck in this how and get overwhelmed. And as a result, not offer the appropriate great opportunities that are available because of the complexity. It's kind of, it, it sucks, right? It, it uh, really conflicts with this fiduciary responsibility that maybe I'm not doing the right thing because there's no margin because it's too yeah. hairy. Yeah. There's too much heartburn for the organization to deal with, to do this. So you're sitting here and like the best thing to do might be based on the tax opportunities or the alignment with the client's interests. It, it might be one of these alternative funds, but like if it's too much work, that's not a very good excuse <laughs> to sit, to sit there and say, it's, well, it's too much work to do this. I'm like, well, the right thing always is a little harder, I think, but like our goal is to help you do the, the very best thing for your clients at scale in a way that it feels honestly delightful uh, to do that. I love the bridge idea. Um, I love that we are bridge builders um, because I love bridges. I don't know if you, how you feel about bridges, but like, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge, great example, connects SF with Marin County, right? Like it transforms the whole area. You could take the other bridges, but like that bridge transforms it. Like you, you get to connect two amazing places and you have this amazing scenery to span the Pacific and the Bay from your left to your right. And, you know, here in Charleston, we have the Ravenel Bridge. It's like our, our big bridge. And it connects Charleston, the peninsula with Mount Pleasant, where I'm at. And it transforms those areas around it. Um, it creates some, a community and a vibrance around it that otherwise wasn't there. You had to take a ferry or you had to go around and like all these different things. And, and I, I very much am finding so much joy in the fact that our advisors who are using the technology now are able to experience the benefits of a bridge and a bridge that's agnostic, honestly, to the underlying things that are most in your best interest or your client's best interest. Like, let us help connect it. We don't have to be the everything store. We can be the connective tissue to make it all happen really well. That's right. And that's the thing is you'll talk to firms about alternatives and, and everybody's going to have a different process. They're going to have different guidelines around what types of investments they're willing to support and take responsibility of for their clients. And, uh, you know, you've mentioned this in the past and you just said it again now that, um, you know, we take the stance of being agnostic, that we want to honor those guidelines that these firms have put in place for whatever reason they have. That's not for us to decide. If they need help making those decisions and setting those guidelines, we have great resources to help them. But at the end of the day, we want to be the bridge. We want to help them connect these two islands or multiple islands together. You were a bit, as you were sharing the story, Judd, it was making me laugh because I was thinking about, you know, the other company that you have founded and run, Mile Marker. Yeah. And I'm thinking as Mammoth is the bridge, it's this visible layer. It's a way of connecting these islands that's experiential mm -hmm. by nature. There's tunnels also. Here in Boston, we have a lot of tunnels. We spent quite a bit of time and money building tunnels. Famously, yes. And uh, it's funny. It makes me think of Mile Marker as being the tunnel builder. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you know, Elon Musk's company is the boring company. It's like yeah. kind of a fun play. Um, but like, you know, if all the things are connecting, that stuff is pretty boring. But that allows you to get to the things that are actually truly exciting. Traveling through a tunnel, it's not really boring, right? Like it's, it's actually pretty 
pretty fabulous. So like, hey, I just went under downtown Boston <laughs> and I saved an hour uh, or whatever it would be, right? But I got to where I wanted to go much faster. Um, the whole experience of that. So travel is a huge thing for me. I love traveling, but like to be able to have the proper experience of travel is huge. And in an industry that's so inherently disconnected because it's inherently partisan, uh, you know, and that's ultimately been part of the downsides of custody or things like that, where you have these battles and then you have these closed systems and you obviously have security and stuff like that, that really, really matters. But what if these companies just exist to help you get where you want to go and do it your own way? Because you are closer to the client than anyone else ever will be. How can we help you be more of who you are, doing things the way you want to do them, and, and really transforming the lives of your clients? Like that, that is fundamentally the existential question that we're solving here, or every day working to solve and get better at. Absolutely. So we have our bridges and tunnels. Um, this has been an awesome conversation around alternatives. I think we could keep going forever. But when we think about this, we're talking about coordinating all of the different pieces. And I'm going to coin your, your quote here, but it's easy to forget the why amidst the how. And we need to solve for that, right? We need to simplify the how, take it off of the forefront and, and really help our clients remember why. You bet. This is fun. Everything discussed on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered advice. The participants may have financial interest in the companies discussed on the podcast.